Good morning. If you have a Bible and you would like to follow along with me, you can do so by turning to Romans chapter 1. We're going to be looking this morning at verses 1 through 7. I do want to say, uh, as we begin, it is really great to be with you this morning. Uh, I love Parker Tennant so much. He's one of my favorite people on the planet. Um, my name is Sean Slade. I'm the pastor at Redeemer Church in Urban and University in Knoxville. And it really has been a long time since I've been with you. I grew up in Germantown, and I became a Christian uh, when I went away to college. And one of my favorite things was to be able to come back to visit my family, and I would come and worship with you. And um, I would come here and I would pick up a bunch of John Sartell sermon tapes and I would bring them back. And my friends in RUF and I, we would listen in our small groups to John Sartell tapes and we would just get John Sartelled. And uh, it was great. And so IPC was really an early, uh, you know, voice in the formation of my Christianity. And I'm really thankful uh, that that was the case. Uh, also, uh, you know, it, it's... It, I just want to congratulate you. A lot of people have congratulated Parker this morning. I want to congratulate you because you have recognized a godly man in your midst and a man who has been faithful to serve you uh, for almost 11 years. And I remember when he was in Arizona and he'd been called to come and serve among you, I was just really thankful, not just for him to be able to come back home to Memphis, which he and Ashley, I know, longed to do, but I was thankful for this church that had meant a lot to me in the early formation of my life, that he would get to come and he would get to participate in shaping this place. Uh, Parker has been a confidant and a counselor to me for the last 20 years. Um, we became friends as cell phones were coming out. And remember, you had to pay for all your minutes. And our wives told us that our friendship was getting too expensive. And uh, we needed to stop uh, calling each other every day. And so it really is an honor to be with you uh, this morning. I do want to apologize. I, I did remember to wear my robe this morning for this special day, but I seem to have forgotten my hair. And so I feel a little bit underdressed. Uh, but today is a great day uh, for, for your church and for my good friend Parker. Uh, in recognizing what God is doing among you. And so I do want to invite you to look with me at Romans chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 7. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David, according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus. To all those in Rome who are loved by God, and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, would you pray with me now for the teaching? Uh, Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are thankful uh, that you are a God not hidden nor silent, but one who delights to reveal himself to those whom you love. And we pray uh, now in these few moments that we attend un as we attend unto your word, that you would be kind 
to attend unto us, that we might be reminded and that we might see lovely things of you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it seems to me that we all have these visions of the good life, and we may not be able to clearly articulate what that good life is, but we Instagram it when we see it. And it's these visions of the good life that begin to shape everything about us. I mean, they shape our vacations, they shape the homes we buy, they shape where we send our children for school, they shape what we wear and what we drive. Uh, It shapes the clubs you want to join, uh, the season tickets that you want to buy, uh, the way you evaluate your body, and the way you evaluate uh, your bank account. And these visions that we all have are the visions that we use to measure our own success and failure, and sadly, we use them to measure the success and the failures of our neighbors as well. It's not just us as individuals who have these visions of what the good life is or what is right for us or what makes us successful and right and good in the world. We have these visions for our churches as well. Every one of you has a vision of what would constitute a good, successful church. Maybe a big steeple, maybe some great big columns out front, maybe a gym and a library. And it's a church that would be the perfect size, right? Not too big, not too small, but would be uh, just right. A place where you could come and everyone would know your name. Right? A place that would be like the Olive Garden, right? When you're here, you're family, right? And uh, you want to go uh, to a church that, uh, where everyone gets along. You want to be at a place where everyone is unified uh, politically and socially and educationally. You want to be at a place that is diverse, uh, yet charitable and warm and welcoming. And of course, you want doctrinal uh, precision and you want fresh, vibrant, traditional worship. And this is one of the things that I would assume uh, being your pastor (laughs) makes it miserable. Uh, Everybody has an opinion about what your church ought to be like. Each of your pastors has a vision of what they think your church ought to be like, and these visions are often in competition with one another. And if we're honest in thinking about each of the visions that we have, what seems to be true is that what all of us want from the church is for the church to make us happy, for the church to make us feel successful and feel comfortable Uh, We want a church that would agree with us. We want a church that would just agree with me. But here's the thing. The church is not called uh, to nurture your vision of the good life. Uh, The church is actually called to confront your vision of the good life. The church is called to confront your visions of the good life because the purpose of the church is to help you and to help me get out of the way. So that the gospel might come into the center of all that we are. And so what I want us to think about this morning is the gospel. I know you've heard of the gospel. I know you have. But I want to think about it in two ways this morning. I want to begin by thinking about the message of the gospel. And then we'll think about the implications of the gospel. And so the message and then the implications. We'll begin with the message. We'll move on to the implications. So let's begin with the message. First, the message. Uh, You'll notice this coming out in, in verse 1. 
Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And what I want you to see here is that Paul had been called by God, set apart, and sent to go and proclaim the gospel to this church. And so what is this gospel? I assume many of you by this point have shut down. You're beginning to yawn. I know the gospel. I'm familiar with the gospel. But what does the gospel mean? What is it? I'm sure many of you would be able to tell me that the gospel literally means the good news. And that's right. But it's not just any good news. I want you to notice verse 1. It is the good news of God. The gospel is the good news of God, and this message is good precisely because it is a message about someone other than you. It is about him. See this in verse 1, set apart for the gospel of God. Verse 3, concerning the Son. And I think that this is really important. It's very big because the gospel is about someone other than ourselves, and this is the point of the church. The church exists to lift our our eyes from ourselves in order to help us see him. Right? The goal of the church is to help you and help me think about someone other than ourself. And I really believe that this is good news because it seems to me that most of our lives, at least if your life is like mine, is spent um, measuring yourself. And, and how you fit in, and whether you measure up, whether you're good enough, or smart enough, or whether enough people like you. And if y'all are anything like me, if you spend your life thinking about yourself all the time, it's exhausting. It is absolutely exhausting. Years ago, uh, there was an interview with a man named Eugene Peterson, and they asked him, how would you define spirituality? And his response was this. Um, spirituality is getting so tired and fed up with yourself that you go on to something better. And that something better is following Jesus. Are you getting tired and fed up with yourself? The invitation of the gospel is that you would leave yourself for him. And I think that this is one of the things that makes the gospel such good news because the gospel is an opportunity for you to take a break from yourself. I think most of us assume that the gospel is, uh, or Christianity in general, is really just a set of propositions that you must assent to. Or that Christianity is really just a set of ethical principles that you must do. But if Christianity is merely about what you know or what you do, it will always begin and end with you. And it will always lead to self-loathing or self-righteousness. Right? I mean, self-loathing because you never know enough or have read enough or done enough. Self-righteousness because you've done more, read more, or have more than others. But either way, it seems to me that most of us spend our Christian life thinking about it as a competition that we must win. As a competition that we must succeed at and be better than others at. A few years ago, I was uh, playing soccer with a group of my friends at the park. And uh, to be honest, I was amazing that morning. Uh, I, I had a hat trick in the first half, and I had perfected my slide into the corner. Uh, I'd pick up the, the, uh, the, you know, the flag that was in the corner, and I'd ride it around just to sort of celebrate what had happened. 
And uh, at the end of the game, uh, I felt so good about myself. And as I was walking back to the car with my children, who at the time were 13 and 10, uh, my daughter said, Dad, you really need to start playing with people your own age. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I, I think that's kind of how we go through life, right? Measuring ourselves against, like, 10-year-olds on a soccer field. Uh, and, uh, but this is really why the gospel is actually good news. The gospel is good news because it is telling us that life is not fundamentally a competition. That life is to be found uh, in the person of Jesus. And Jesus is the one in whom we can find rest. It's about uh, what Jesus has done and what he is doing. It is about Jesus and his great unending love for us. And this is important because the gospel isn't just good advice. And the gospel isn't ten steps uh, to become better than other people. The gospel is first and foremost about our Savior, Jesus Christ. And the love of the Father. And the power of the Holy Spirit. And it is about these things, not in a vague way, but in a very particular way. Uh, the, because the gospel is about the historical Jesus. And this, this is important because I think oftentimes when we think about the gospel, we narrowly define the gospel as a religious concept. But the word gospel wasn't originally a religious term. The word gospel was originally a political term. And it was the good news that a king had been victorious. And that's how Paul is using this phrase gospel here in our passage. He's saying King Jesus is now victorious. You see this in verse 3. The good news concerning his son Jesus who was descended from David. As most of you know, I would assume, David was the king of Israel. And David was the one to whom God had promised uh, that he would have a son. And that son would sit on the throne and would rule forever. And so what Paul is proclaiming to us is the good news. He is announcing to the world that Jesus is the forever king. Who had been promised to David and to all his people. And this is important because the good news is that Jesus is the forever king. We are not the forever king. The good news is that we are not even kings and queens of our own lives. The good news is that Jesus is the king over all things. He's the king over our lives. And we must turn from ourselves to him. And I want you to notice how he won his victory. It was not by wars. It was not through politicians. It was not through the academy. It was not with an army. It was not with money. It was not with fame. Look at verse 4. He was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Now I think this is very important. How is Jesus the victorious forever king? It is through his resurrection from the dead. And this is the good news. That Jesus died but he did not remain 
dead. And this is important because often when we think about what is the gospel, we would say, well, the gospel is that Jesus died for my sins, and he did, praise the Lord. But the gospel does not end with his death. The good news of Jesus is that he lives. That Jesus is alive. That he actually got up out of the grave to live and to reign. He's ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And from there, he rules and reigns over all things as king. Is king over all things for you and for me. And because he lives and because he reigns, he must become not only the king, but he must become our king. And he is the one to whom we owe all glory, laud, and honor. And he is the one to whom we not only sing, but we must follow. And we must follow him in every area of our lives in our ethics, in our sexuality, with our money, uh, with our politics, with our children, with our jobs, with our desires, and the visions of the good life that we have for ourselves and for our neighbor, and the vision of the good life that we would have for this community of God's people. That Jesus is the king, and we must follow him, and we must follow him wherever it is that he would lead us. And so the job of the church is to help dethrone you and to help dethrone me so that Christ might reign over all things. Now this message has some implications for us because the gospel wants to change you. Jesus wants to change you. He wants to change the way that you think about this world. He wants to change the way you think about your neighbor. He wants to change the way you think about your money. He wants to change the way you act. He wants to change what you love. He wants to change what you desire. And at times, King Jesus will come and he will comfort you. And there are other times where he will come and he will make things uncomfortable. There are times where he'll come and he will offer you clarity. But there are also times where he will come and you will be confused. But one of the things that the gospel wants to offer you over and over and over again is found in verse 7. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. King Jesus wants to offer grace and peace to you. And one of the things that I find so interesting about this offer that God is making of grace and peace to his people is that Christians are often not filled with grace and peace. That Christians are often filled with anxiety and anger or anxiety and fear. And why is this? It should not be the the case. King Jesus wants to fill us with grace and peace. And one of the reasons, there are a million reasons probably, but one of the reasons I think we struggle with grace and peace is because we want to remain at the center of our lives. And there is no grace and there is no peace when we remain at the center. 
And often we come to our religion, we come to Christianity thinking that we have got to do things in order to have peace with God. Thinking we've got to do things and earn his love. But again, that is not good news. The good news of the gospel, the good news of the Bible, the good news of God is what he has done. It is his death and it is his resurrection. And the good news of Christianity is that God has done everything. That Jesus has actually paid the penalty for our sin. That God's wrath and his anger have already been satisfied in Jesus. That the resurrection of Jesus is an assurance to us that our sins have already been dealt with. That your death is not the end. And that through faith in Christ, we are no longer enemies of God. But we are his dearly loved children. And this is at odds with everything the world wants to teach us. The Bible tells us that we are loved children of God. That we are valuable, important, significant to him. The world tells us that our value is found in the number of likes that we find on the Instagram. The world tells us that we are valuable if we earn If we prove our value, if we have successful, comfortable lives. And sadly to me, it seems to me that most of us spend our lives trying to get into those right clubs. Because if we could just get in the right club, then we would prove that we matter. If we were just a member of the right club, we'd prove that we're okay. Others of us are in the club. Uh, Some of us run the club. And it is easy for us to believe that we matter because we're in or because we're in charge. And yet beneath all of it, we are filled with anxiety that it all might disappear. We have no grace. We have no peace because we've got to be at the center. But here's the good news. Life was never meant to be found in you. Life has always been, many, uh, been found in Jesus. And so the gospel comes to us and says grace and peace to you. Why can we have grace and peace? We have grace and peace because of Christ. Because through the death of Jesus, we now have peace with God. By his grace, we are loved by him. And we're loved by him not because we've arrived, not because we deserve it, not because we're better than anyone else. Not because we won the Christian spelling bee by spelling Mephibosheth. Uh, It's it's a man in the Bible. Uh, uh, Or because uh, we won the the Christian uh, geography bee. Or because you've memorized the most Bible verses. We are loved by God through the death and resurrection of Christ. God the Father, Son, Spirit have proven his love for us through him. See, we have peace with God because God actually really does love us. See it in verse 7, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. I want you to think about that. Uh, 
We are called to be saints. And to be a saint means that we are those who are set apart by God for his purposes. His purposes to proclaim his love. And to know his love. And he says that we are loved by him. And and I don't want us to rush on past that. You are loved by Jesus. He doesn't just tolerate you. He doesn't just put up with you. He actually delights in you. And the purpose of the church is to help you rest in his love for you. And it's to help you delight in his love for you. To remind you of his love. So that as his saints, you might go out throughout Memphis. Throughout the world. Reflecting the love of the Father that he has for you. So that the city would know. So that the world would know. And so on this insulation day, I think it's important um, to remind you uh, that one of the ways that God expresses his love for you is through your pastors. That God in his grace has given you pastors to remind you of the love of Jesus. To remind you of the love of the Father. And to remind you of the love and the power of the Holy Spirit. One of the ways that God loves you is through giving you a man like Parker Tennant. Through giving you Robert and Jeremy and and Sean. I don't know all the names of your pastors, but they have been given to you as a gift from God. To remind you of God's love. So that you might more and more rest in that love. So that you might go out reflecting it to all the world. These men have not been called by God uh, to make you comfortable. They've not been called by God to tell you what you already know and what you already want to hear. They have been called by God to tell you about Jesus. So that you might more and more know him. And so that you might more and more be removed from the center of your life. So that Jesus might come in and fill all things. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great love for us. And your gift to us in Jesus. And the gift of under shepherds to lead us to you. And we pray, thanking you for men like Parker. Who have shepherded in this place well and faithfully. Would you continue to strengthen him for that service of reminding us of your compassion so that we might walk in your ways. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.